0: First, First Timothy, chapter one, and conclude our message from last week. And, it, and as you know, that uh, glad to see you feeling better. Thank you <laughs> for being here. Yeah, It's been a challenge's it been a challenge for a lot of people. As we said last week, um, we were looking at what Paul is talking about in First Timothy to Timothy. Uh, Timothy was a young pastor in, in Ephesus. Timothy had a, a lot of challenges going on for him. Uh, one of the biggest challenges we see right away from the very beginning is the, uh, the teaching of false doctrines and uh, the teaching of, of different doctrines, basically, uh, a different doctrine, a false doctrine. And uh, we'll see this throughout the book of Timothy, that Paul is instructing Timothy to be, be stern and be ready uh, to do such things. If you look at 1 Timothy with me in uh, verse 3, It says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrines. As a matter of fact, if you go down a little bit further over to chapter four, he calls these different teachings, these doctrines, he calls them uh, teachings of demons or doctrines of demons. In chapter four, verse one, he says, now the spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through insincer- the insincerity uh, of, of the liars whose consciences are seared. We're going to look at that verse again today, a little bit later. And if you follow me to chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, he says in verse, uh, verse 3, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. And so as, as we look at the concluding chapter of, of this, uh, the concluding verses of this chapter, chapter 6, verse 20, he says once again, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing that some have swerved from the faith. And uh, we'll go in, in Second Timothy, the theme is still the same. And so Paul, Paul knew that Timothy had a challenge. Paul knew that Timothy was a young pastor. And so he says, you know, the, these are some of the things that we've already discussed. I've already shared with you. You've been with me 15 years. You know what true gospel is. You know what the true gospel is. The true gospel message is not about you. It's not about me. The gospel message is about God himself. God's gospel is his gospel, the good news. And the good news is, first of all, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. He was buried. And resurrected on the third day now th- that is the just a compressed version of what the gospel is but from the very beginning from the very beginning uh, god has been proclaiming the gospel in the old testament they didn't have as i have mentioned before the the book of romans they didn't have the four spiritual laws they didn't have evangelism explosion they didn't have uh you know the roman road they didn't have any of these things all they had was the gospel of god and god's gospel has always been You are sinful. You are you are in 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 uh, danger of experiencing my wrath. Repent and come back to me. Come back to me and I will come back to you. That has always been God's gospel. In Isaiah 53, we hear the suffering servant on what he went through. We see the writer Isaiah writing about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ 800 years before it even happens. And he's writing about what took place on the cross as if he's looking back to the cross and and showing what the gospel message is going to be, that God himself was going to provide a sacrifice. They were waiting for this Messiah. They were waiting for this perfect sacrifice. They were waiting for their sin to be taken away completely. And then they were also waiting for that kingdom to be established here on earth. So they had the right idea, but, but the wrong concept. They had the right understanding, but they weren't applying it into their life. They knew that the kingdom was to come, and they knew the Messiah was going to come, but but they just could not understand how to internalize it because their consciences were seared. Their hearts had been hardened, and uh, there were so many teachings about how one should uh, comport themselves and get saved, basically. And so Paul Paul is, is laying it down, and he says, you know, I want you to know this. Timothy, as he says again uh, in verse three, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussions desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertion father in heaven before we move on help us to understand how to uh, decipher and how to look at what a different doctrine is a different teaching it is important father that we understand that teaching and doctrine which is we know that is the same, that the doctrines or the teachings that we receive from your word are going to determine our behavior and help us to understand how it is that our, our life should be led. So, Father, once again, we just thank you for what you've done and how you lead us in all things. And this morning, Father, I pray that you lead us as we go through this portion of Scripture uh, and help us to see and decipher. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so Paul, again, once is going over the, um, uh, as I mentioned before, is going to Timothy and telling him, okay, here's you need to remain there. Timothy, I believe, wanted to leave. We'll find that out later. He wanted to check out. It was just getting too stressful. It is difficult. It's it's hard sometimes. It's very intimidating when you talk to people that seem to know a lot, or especially people that are loud, yeah, people that are very loud. It's kind of hard to try to argue with them, and, and a lot of times it's difficult to even try to get anything across to them. Some people, that think, believe, and they know it all. And, and, and you know, some people, they just start off by saying, well, I believe, and I think, and, you know, you're wrong, and I'm right. And And so Timothy had a lot of that going on. A lot of the elders are going there. And so Jesus even said to beware of such people. Jesus even said that there's going to be false Christs and false prophets. Paul himself even said that there was going to be um, uh, false apostles and no wonder, and, and they're going to come in a very bright and, and beautiful way. They're going to be able to, to discuss the gospel message, or at least their version of it, in such a way they're going to disguise themselves as angels of light. And it's no wonder because Satan himself, also is an angel of light. And so, so what, what, um, what Paul is sharing with Timothy, he says, here's the things that you need to do. Be careful. Watch the teaching. Tell them not to teach certain doctrines. Now, we've gone over this portion before, and I'm going to go over it again with you uh, today. And it's in your outlines, on the first, first page of your outlines. It's uh, testing the spirits. We've talked about this when we went through the book of Philippians. We've talked about it when we went through the book of Galatians. We talked about it when we went through the book of uh, uh, 1 of, of Thessalonians. Because Paul himself says in First Thessalonians to test the spirits. He says in First Thess- Thessalonians 5.21, test everything. Every, hold fast and test what is good. And, and so it is good to be able to test the spirits. And, and so the question is, how do you do that? And, and I've been asking you and sharing this, you know, how do you test this? How do you know which is the right spirit? Or how do you know what is right? Well, it's, it's, it's good to know because in First John, John himself Gives us a formula as to how to test the spirits, and once as I said before, we've gone through this once before, and we're going to do it again today, very briefly. I'm going to give it to you in a different format. Before I had given it to you in statements that the Holy Spirit exalts the true Christ, but today I'm going to give them to you as I pulled him out of a um, Jonathan Edwards commentary, and uh, John MacArthur himself was able to put this together in a, in a very understandable way in Strange Fire, and and he says here's a way that you can do this. You can test the spirits by asking the Five questions according to First John chapter four, verses one through eight. So let me ask you to open up your Bibles to First John chapter four with me. First John is of course uh, closer to the end of the Bible, uh, closer to Revelation. First John chapter four, and they all, the the verses are there in your outline as well. But the very first thing that we want to look at, the very first thing that we want to see, is uh, in 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 verse one. In verse one of of uh, uh, chapter 4, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For, uh, for he goes on to say, For many false prophets have gone out into the world. John knew this, Peter knew this, uh, Paul knew this, Jesus knew this, the Old Testament knew this. It, it, it has been going on from, from the very beginning that there are false teachers. So you got to know how to test the spirits. The problem happens is that because everybody has their own understanding of what the Holy Spirit or the Spirit is supposed to do. And and so they start going, okay, well, as long as you can um, say certain prayers, as long as you can memorize certain verses, as long as you can uh, speak in various tongues, as long as you can perform certain miracles, as long. And so all of a sudden it just takes off without even looking further into what John himself says. Because the very next verse in chapters 2 and 3, he says, first and foremost, he says in verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Okay, because John is saying there are various spirits out there, many false prophets, there are a lot of different apostles, a lot of people are coming in, and many of these have gone into the world, and they're in the church right now. So here's how you test and you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come into the flesh or come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Now, remember, Antichrist. Antichrist is just like Christ, but just on the opposite. And Satan is like Christ. He he disguises himself as an angel of light. He doesn't come to us in horns. And so when we think Antichrist, we're thinking, well, the guy that sits out there, he's going to be the guy that's going to rule the world and destroy the world. Well, eventually that's what's going to happen. That's not how he approaches us. It's not how he comes. He is within the church, opposes everything that is up against uh, what, G- what Jesus Christ had, had instituted and installed. And so the, the true Christ, what he does... you what the true spirit what he does is he elevates and exalts jesus christ and you have a lot of understanding and teaching about how the holy spirit is supposed to respond and how it's supposed to affect you and what you're supposed to do and how it's supposed to knock you down and cause you to go in these trances and go into this frenzy and euphoria and you know there's a lot of this understanding but that's not what the holy spirit does the holy spirit first and foremost his responsibility is not to bring attention to himself his first responsibility is to bring attention to Jesus Christ. That's it. No one else, nothing else, not even himself. Now, beloved, the Holy Spirit is a very powerful and very personal, and, and the, the second member of the Trinity, he is exactly what it is that he is supposed to be doing. He's supposed to be bringing glory to Jesus Christ. In, uh there, there are many people that have written, uh, there's one commentator named Matthew Henry. He says, the Spirit came not to erect a new kingdom, but to glorify Christ. Many kingdoms are being erected in the name of the Holy Spirit. Many uh, denominations are being elevated in the name of the Holy Spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit can do for you and what he is to give you because the Holy Spirit has promised you, according to a lot of these uh, prophets and teachers and apostles, that he is here for you. And they are erecting a new kingdom. Uh, Kevin DeYoung, he says, exalting in Christ is evidence of the Spirit's work. The focus of the church is not on the dove, but on the cross. And that's the way the Spirit would have it. As a matter of fact, J.I. Packard says, the Spirit's message to us is never look at me, listen to me, come to me, come to get to know me. But the Spirit's responsibility and message is always look at Him. See Him. Look at His glory. Listen to Him. Hear His word. Go to Him and have life and get to know Him and taste His gift of joy and peace. That's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to focus on Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit not only directs our attentions to the Lord Jesus, but he also confirms or conforms us to the image of Christ. A true work of the Spirit affirms the truth about jesus christ as a matter of fact in john chapter 15 verse 26 he says this when when jesus is talking to the disciples right before he uh is crucified arrested right before he's at the last supper he's talking about how he's he's going to leave you know do not let your hearts be weary and they're wondering where are you going you're going to leave us as orphans no uh, you know i'm going to prepare a place for you and if i go i'm going to come back for you And Thomas asks so where are you going? Come on, you don't know where I'm going? I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know where I'm going. No one can come to the Father except through me. And then in chapter 15, he talks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you a helper. In John 15, verse 26, he says, But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will hear, he will bear witness about me. That is his responsibility, to bear witness not about himself, but about Jesus Christ. Not about, you know, what he can do for you, but about what Jesus Christ has done for you. The Holy Spirit points people to the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Later on, Jesus says in John 16, verse 8, he says to them, And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Many uh, kingdoms that are being elevated in the name of the Holy Spirit, they don't convict the world of sin. As a matter of fact, they almost help you continue on in the worldliness of more possessions, of more health, of better things, of greater life, of more intelligence, instead of sacrificial love, instead of sacrificing your body. You know, Because if, if prosperity is what the Holy Spirit is intended to give you, and that's the true evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit, then Jesus Christ missed the mark. And I don't mean that to be uh, irreverent or uh, to be dis- disrespectful, because if the Holy Spirit's responsibility is to make sure that you're doing well, healthy, wealthy, and wise, then Jesus Christ didn't have the Holy Spirit, and that's blasphemy. As a matter of fact, I'll take it a step further. Not only Jesus Christ, but all the apostles and all everyone else that followed them. every one of them denied themselves. Every one of them took up a cross. And uh, you won't hear this in churches and teachings that elevate themselves and elevate the Holy Spirit. But he goes on to say in John chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. He won't make you say whatever you want to say. He won't make you babble on. He won't make you howl like wolves, bark like dogs, scream like chickens. He won't make you, you know, babble all over the place and roll up and down. That's not what he's intended to do. He will not speak on his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare it to you, the things that are to come. And here's the kicker. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me, is what Jesus said won't glorify himself. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and deliver it to you. See, the Holy Spirit's responsibility is to convict the world of sin, to convict you. And when you hear the truth of the gospel message and you're convicted, your heart is cut. And, you know, you, oh, you know I just, that's the Holy Spirit's responsibility. Now, it is your responsibility to respond, to respond to either repent or run away. Because the gospel message has always been repent. That's not a suggestion. Repent. Repent. Because the gospel, the good news is that, the bad news is that I'm a sinner. The good news is that Jesus Christ is taking care of my sin. The bad news is that I'm going to die in my sin. The good news is that I can live forever because Jesus Christ died on the cross. That's the good news. But I cannot hear the good news unless I understand what the bad news is. And that's what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach you. He's trying to teach you that you are a sinner and you need to repent. I'm a great sinner. That's why I need a great savior. I'm a, I'm a, a, the world, as Paul would say, I'm the vilest of sinners. I'm the worst of the chief sinner, he says. And that's who we are. That's who I am. But thanks be to God for Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for me. Anything that undermines the gospel message is not the true work of the Holy Spirit. And here's why. Here's why it has to be only Jesus Christ and nothing else. It's by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. And here's why. It cannot be the focus on the Holy Spirit. Now, please don't get me wrong. There are a lot of works that are out there that, you know, most of these works that I'm talking about, they, 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 they do focus on Jesus Christ. They give them lip service. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. Amen. And then they go into the Holy Spirit and all the acts and everything else that happens and all the signs and wonders that take place. And, and somehow Jesus is placed on the sideline. But, but they understand that he died on the cross. They understand that he was buried. They understand that he was resurrected. And they say, as long as you believe that he, was, that he, he died, buried, in resurrection, and resurrection, that's as far as they go. And the reason why it can only be Jesus Christ is because he's the one. He's the one that finished the work of salvation, not the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is the one that died and was buried and resurrected. That's why the Holy Spirit says, look at him. See him. Search him, glorify him. And the moment you take that equation out, it's no longer the gospel. Well, it's a gospel, it's good news of man, it's not the good news of God. And so we have to understand that because the sound doctrine is 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 what what overrides this emotional experience that people have these false forms of gospels that a lot of people are just coming to in some cases doctrine has been ignored it's been taken away and this is why paul tells timothy to have people to to charge certain people not to teach a different doctrine focus it on jesus christ it's only what he did You cannot be going to this intellectual idea or thought. You cannot be going back to tradition, the Jewish tradition. You cannot be going back to all these different things. It's Jesus Christ and only him. And so sound doctrine is always, always what it does. As a matter of fact, it's been ignored for the sake of the false unity. Sound doctrine has been put aside. I've had a lot of people tell me a lot of times, this is, you know, I, I don't want sound doctrine. I don't want doctrine. It just gets in the way. It muddles my mind. It causes me to not have my mind and my spirit open. It just, you know, I cannot act freely. You're not supposed to act freely. You're supposed to act under the control and the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, not this worldly spirit. And, but see, and that's how you know, because it elevates Jesus Christ. Number two, the second question you might want to ask is, does the work oppose worldliness? Does the work oppose worldliness? Now, before I've given it to you in this way, the Holy Spirit opposes the world. And, and that's the statement. But the question that you can ask now is, does it oppose worldliness? I'm talking about the work, the things that you see. Jesus says in 1 John 4, four and five, he says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. And in a lot of places, the genuine evidence of the Holy Spirit's influence in a person's life is not material prosperity, not mindless emotionalism or supposed miracles. Rather, it is sanctification, In other words, that the believer is growing spiritually, maturing, practical holiness and Christ-likeness through the power and leading of the Holy Spirit as he applies biblical truth to the heart of his saints. A true work of the Spirit convicts the heart of sin, combats worldly lusts, and cultivates spiritual fruit in the lives of God's people. And what we see a lot in many places that you know that god wants to bless you god wants to give you god wants to make you healthy wealthy and wise and again if that's the if that's the truth then god owes an apology to all these apostles and all these saints that have gone on before us that have lost everything for the cause of christ because most of them all of them did not die healthy wealthy and wise matter of fact most of them were martyred and killed for the cause of Christ. They gave up the world. They picked up their cross on a daily basis and they followed Jesus Christ. They denied themselves. And the teaching that we get in many circles today is that no, that God wants to bless you. He wants to help you. He wants to you know, give you everything that you ever desired. That's the world speaking. And the commercials are there to reinforce this same doctrine, the same teaching. As a matter of fact, Paul says in Romans 8:5. He says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, set their minds on the things of the spirit. False teachers are characterized by their association with the world. And they have this spiritual system of evil dominated by Satan, which opposes God and pursues the temporal lusts. This world is not our friends. Your This world is not your friend. Good. John will continue saying to us in 1 John, he says, you know, do not love the world because everything of the world, the eyes of the, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the, the pride of life is from the world. Everything that you see, everything that you want, everything that you desire is, is not from God. And it's interesting because we get this confused a lot because that's what we hear in a lot of churches, that God wants to bless you, God wants to give you. Well, that, those are all worldly possessions, so he goes on to say that this, this biblical teaching, he says, I, I want you to teach your people in Ephesus. They came out of this worldly lust. They came out of this desire for more. They came out of this desire to have as much as possible. They had temples in Ephesus and in Corinth that you would go to. And these temples to Aphrodite and to uh, Diana and, and, and these temples that they had were in high places and they had hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, temple prostitutes and they were priests priests, I guess you would say, temple priests that were out in, in there for the people to come and worship uh, the, the, the goddess Diana. In essence, they would, they would hire a prostitute in the temple, and they would believe that by having intercourse with the prophetess, that you would be able to ensure that you yourself will have a bounty of life because this is how you propagate or this is how you increase life is by having sexual intercourse with a person so if you do this with the spirits or within the spirits it would be condo- it would be given to you it would be imbued in you and now you have that same spiritual power to move forward in life and succeed in all things that was the thinking of the prophetesses that they would have in these various temples and they would hire them out and they would make money and and that's what people in Ephesus came from that's what the people in Corinth came from. They were bringing it into the church, especially in Corinth. They were bringing it into the church, and Paul says, no, no, you cannot do that. You're separate. You're different. As a matter of fact, one of the things that one of the first, uh, uh, well, not the first, but one of the earliest historians had written about Christianity, what they wrote is, you know, Christianity has taught, and was, it is given, it's given this morality about their life. They are committed and devoted to one woman, not many. They are committed and devoted to one God, God, not many. They are committed and devoted to this oneness where you can see the stark difference between them and the rest of the world. And they do this all in the threat of being persecuted. They do this all in the threat of being cast out of their communities, of their homes. And they do this because they commit themselves to Jesus Christ. And so there was this change in morality. Women became uh, equal partners. Children had become not just castaways or throwaways. They became part of the family unit. And, and the household became different, way different than what it was in, at that time, because they were focused on God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, and they were exalting the true Christ. And the, what they were, were seeing is that they were, they were um, opposing worldliness. Number three, another question to ask is, does the work point people to the scriptures? Does the work point people to the scriptures? And once again, it's asked in the question. When I gave it to you before, I'd given it to you in a statement. The Holy Spirit focuses on scripture. That's what he does. Holy Spirit is the writer. He's the composer. He is the, the leader. He is the one that put the, the word together. The Holy Spirit wrote the scriptures through apostles, to prophets, through people. He, he used 40 different authors from the very beginning. He's, he's used shepherd. He's used uh, kings. He's used slaves. He's used... Uh, Tax collectors, he used uh, various types of people. Fishermen, he he used various types of people throughout walks of life for over 1,500 years. And every one of them were writing, not even realizing that it was one day going to be compiled after 1,500 years. Now, let me put this into perspective for you. The United States has not even been in existence for 250 years. 250 years, 240 some odd years right now. 250 years, the United States has barely been in existence. And in that 250 years, we've seen a lot from the telegraph to the cell phone, from wagon train to the bullet train. I mean, we have so much that has changed within that 250 years. Can you imagine in a lifetime of 1,500 years and various authors all writing at at different times, the Holy Spirit just orchestrated all this and then brought it together to have our 66 books that we have today. And when he wrote this, he had an intention of glorifying Jesus Christ from the very beginning. So it, it, it is just... It is just a byproduct. It is just natural that the Holy Spirit leads you to his word. Amen? We are from God, Paul John says. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by extension, he says, because we are the ones sharing these things, we are the ones writing these things down, God, we believe, has led us to write these things down, the Holy Spirit himself. And so if you listen to us, you're listening to what God has said unfortunately for a lot of people they've taken this word hey i'm from god too and here's what i say Hey, i'm from god too and here's what i say and everybody's from god and everybody is listening to what these people have to say sometimes they contradict each other sometimes you know there's there's things that just doesn't don't don't flow with what the scripture says as a matter of fact these weren't the only 66 books that were written in the old testament i mean in you know long time ago everybody was writing epistles we also have a, somebody, apparently, an, an epistle of Thomas. There's an epistle of the Virgin Mary, by the way, a letter, uh, a book. There's uh, the Gospel of Thomas. There's the Gospel. There's various types of Gospels or messages or good news that were written that were not included in this canon. We call it the canon. That's the, the Latin term for, uh, the Greek term for the, the book put the rule, the standard. And uh, when when God, the Holy Spirit, finally, had all the information that he wanted he canonized it he put it together this is the standard this is the rule and after all these years of writing all these years of people preaching and teaching it these are the things that all had the same common message jesus christ is the center of it jesus christ is the is the messiah jesus christ is who we focus on and so the holy spirit's responsibility is to lead people to his word a true work of the spirit leads people to submit the apostolic teaching and by extension, the entire Bible, he guides them to a greater appreciation and for love and love for the scriptures. And and so in the, on the opposite end, sometimes false prophets, they belittle God's word, adding their own ideas in it and twisting its meaning. They'll tell you things like, you still follow that dead letter? They call the Bible the dead letter. They want to follow something that's new, that's vibrant, that is just, a, you know, a fresh word from God. They, you know, they don't want a, the old word from God anymore. They want a fresh word for God. And, and you know, it's, un, it's unfortunate that many people that are calling for this new word, this fresh word, this reformation in the, in the Holy Spirit and how he's transforming us. Many of those people haven't even read the whole Bible in itself. They haven't exhausted. You can't exhaust the word of God. You just cannot. Uh, You know, scholars upon scholars that have gone over the Bible, it it is inexhaustible. One scholar once said that the the Bible is such a deep ocean that a theologian would just get lost, wouldn't even be able to reach the bottom of it, but yet shallow enough for a child to come and drink from its edges. I mean, this is how profound the word of God is. And yet people are looking for something new, something fresh, not something dead, something stale, something old. That's archaic. Oh, that just, you know, and, and... it's because they're not. Why would the Holy Spirit do that? He will not do that. Peter, as a matter of fact, tells us this, knowing this, uh, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Uh, these aren't in your outlines, but in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, it says this, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now it's the Holy Spirit that does this. And Jesus told us in John 16, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. That's his responsibility. Where is the truth found? It's found right here. It's found right here. It's truth. And it always has been truth. And as much as people try to deny it, this is truth. People come out with their own ideas. Well, I heard from God, and I heard from God, and I heard, everybody's hearing from God. There's this podcast that comes out where this lady is sitting in front of the camera, and she's praying and mumbling and jumbling and all kinds of stuff. All of a sudden, she says, okay, I got, I got it. God sent me a word. She writes something down, and she says, this is what God wanted me to share with you today. And it's authoritative It's th- because God gave it to her. Okay, if that's authoritative, well, then why don't we make copies of it, and why don't we add it to the Bible? Why don't we make another section at the end of the Bible, since it's God's word, let's put it in. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. We can't do that because at the end, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 19, it says, whoever adds anything to these words of mine, the plagues of this book will be added to you. And don't take anything out of it either. We cannot add anything to it. And so, as you have heard me say many times before, we believe in what's called a closed canon. This is what we preach and teach, and we'll take our commentary from various verses. This is why you see a lot of verses in your outlines on the screen, because I want you to see what the Word says, not what the world is saying, but what the Word says. It's clear that the Holy Spirit would not speak on his own initiative, so if he won't speak on his own, if he won't say what he wants to say, why would he take his own initiative and lead you somewhere else? That's his Word. Number four, another question you can ask is, does the work elevate the truth? the work that you're listening to, the work that you're part, uh, part of, is it elevating the truth of God? And, and I put in this another statement once before, the Holy Spirit always elevates the truth. By this, he says, you know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John says, when he says test the spirits, here's how you can do it. Is it elevating the truth? Or, or, or is it elevating the, the, the truth or, or error or the spirit of error? The Holy Spirit who is defined by truth stands in contrast to the false spirits of delusion who are characterized by error and falsehood. When a spiritual movement is known for defending sound theology, denouncing false teaching, and detesting superficial unity, these are strong indications that it is a genuine work of the Holy Spirit. And, And it is not as popular... As it is they say, well you know it 's okay, come on if we 're all supposed to love one another let 's all just kumbaya together we 're all united here we 're not divisive we 're not trying to divide you know the gospel message has always been divisive always Jesus Christ himself, you know what he said the goat 's to the left and the sheep to the right there's going to be good there 's going to be bad fish and there 's going to be good fish there 's going to be tares and there 's going to be wheat there 's the wide gate and then there 's the narrow gate and Jesus is systematically constantly dividing. Now that is not popular in today's culture. Our our culture tells us something totally different. And then the last question you can ask is, does the the work produce love for God and others? The Holy Spirit produces love for God and others. Always, always has and always will. It says here, uh, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And then verse 7, It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not love, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And, again, you got to go through Scripture to find what is true love. Not lust, but love. Not just, you know, I love my friends, I love my car, I love pizza. No, he's talking about agape love, self-sacrificial love self-sacrificial love love that is going to be expressed in such a way that it doesn't contain anything to do with you in other words i love you because or i love you when or i love you if no god is love point blank god loves you in spite of all the craziness you've been through and done he loves you and he loves you just the way you are but he loves you so much more that he wants you to repent. He brings you in that way. He brings you in that way. And then you repent because of what he's done for you. And you continue to become more and more like Jesus Christ. On the back of your outline, to finish up this portion. So, so that, that's just very briefly on how, when we went through this for several, you know, we went through this quite a bit, and trying to get across on how it is that we are to test the spirits. But when Paul's talking to Timothy, he says, you know, and the reason I want you to do this, he says, you know, I want you to stay at Ephesus and charge certain people about not to teach any different doctrines nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God. But that is by faith. The aim, he says in verse 5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. This is what he says. Here's the Here's the focus. Here's the goal. Here's the aim. This is why I want you to do this. I want you to do this because of love. And, and I want you to charge, our charge, he says, my command, my demand is love. You need to love people. And the reason you want to confront these uh, doctrines is not to cause arguments, not to cause uh, this, this hatred or this intentional divide. Not, not, you, that's going to cause itself. What you need to do is help these brothers to come and see what the truth is, and you do this in love. You do this in love. And when, when the Holy Spirit is exalted and when the, and it ex, uh, the Holy Spirit opposes the world, and the Holy Spirit is focused on Scripture and the Holy Spirit is elevating the truth and the Holy Spirit produces love for God. Well, the, 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 the only logical thing to happen is because the Holy Spirit, his fruit is the very first one is love. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the very first one is love. And so the Holy Spirit is naturally going to cause love to flow when these five questions are asked and answered properly and you understand that this is what God had intended for the Holy Spirit to do and to give that love to people. Number one, well, first of all, as I said, that that love, number one, for God and others comes from a pure heart, comes from a pure heart. And the pure heart, what it comes from, is what God can do when he changes your heart from the inside out. He changes our hearts. He gives us a new heart. He causes us to be born again. And we are now his creation in such a way that we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so this pure heart that he asks us to have and that we are to have, it is automatically there. When you have committed your life to Christ, it is, you are transformed. You're a new creation. You don't have that heart that you did before. Before I was heartless. I could care less on who I heard. I can care less on what I'd done to people. I can care less on how they felt. Because I just wanted my flesh to be fed. With the new heart, it's it, it, it pains me to see the pain that is being caused. It pains me to see what what those because I have the, the heart that is now committed to Christ. The Holy Spirit has given us this new heart. The psalmist asked this question in Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. The psalmist, when David had sinned against Bathsheba, and he said, Lord, my sin is so heavily upon me, I I, I, I can't even... It's it's like I'm walking through the desert. My mouth is so dry I am so wet, burdened by this sin. And he, he cries out to the Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The one thing that we can do and we should do is to cry out to God and ask him to create in us a clean heart uh, and a right spirit within him. Other verses... And we'll find out in Titus chapter 3, verses 5, that he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. You have been washed, you have been regenerated, you have been made new, renewal by the Holy Spirit. You have now a clean heart. We had hearts of stone, and now he's given us hearts of flesh. The second thing that Paul is, that Paul is talking about here, is love for God and others comes from a good conscience. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience. The, this, and this is what, what he's talking about. The, the second requirement prerequisite is this good conscience. You know, and, and what he's talking about here is having this understanding, this, uh, this thought. As I said last week, that the conscience is the reflection of the soul. The conscience is the soul reflecting upon itself. The conscience is what you, you sense and you feel. The conscience is what everybody has. Everyone has a conscience. And the Bible talks a lot about our conscience. It talks about what it is that we should do with this conscience and we should, how we should be standing with this conscience. Because once you're regenerated and made brand new, your conscience is now being uh, influenced by the light that is coming in. See, the conscience is not God's voice as much as telling you what to do but the conscience is now open to what uh, the word of God says this is why our mind has to be filled with God's word so that when we make a decision we make decisions based upon what we know about God's word this is why I keep saying that your behavior is being determined by your beliefs by the doctrine that you listen to that you read that you understand and it'll help you to make a right decision and so it helps you to make a decision based upon what is, is happening in your life. Uh, in First in, uh, in Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, as I said to you, First uh, Timothy 1, 18, we're going to read later. It says this, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience and he goes on to say in verses 19 and 20 by rejecting this some have made shipwrecks of their faith among them who are Hymenius and Alexander whom I have handed over to Satan that they may know may learn not to blaspheme and what Paul talks about here he's saying you know you have to understand that you need to hold on to this what what your conscience is telling you to do and how it's it's helping you to operate in life and how to operate in this world, because everyone with a conscience, everyone in this world has a conscience, and it's this indicator that tells you what is right and what's wrong. It's a God given. Uh, it's a God given innate. Uh, sense, I guess you would call it. I don't want to call it a spirit. I don't want to call it the Holy Spirit. Some people try to use the the angel and the devil in, on your shoulders. You've seen those cartoons. Some try, some people try to use the yin and the yang. Some people try to use the good, you know, but what it is is your in, uh, innate God-given ability to understand and know that there are just some things in this world you don't do. And, and you know, because um, atheists, for instance, because atheists won't do, won't murder, you know, they're considered to be good people. Well, I'm, murder, is, murder is wrong. It is a commandment. But innately inside of us, we know that murder is just not, it's something that we won't do. Matter of fact, when I tell people, you know, that you, you need to repent, he says, why do I need to repent? I'm a good person. No, I don't kill nobody. I haven't committed adultery. I'm not a drunkard. Well, good. I'm glad. You know, that's good. But, you know, that's because your conscience tells you not to do those things. There are things that we know that we shouldn't do. And the problem is, is that our conscience, little by little, is being d- destroyed. It's little by little is being systematically uh, silenced. People have been taught to ignore and, uh, the guilty feelings that we have about the conscious what the conscious produces because the conscious does produce a guilty feeling. What they try to show, what they try to say is something like this. They say that, you know, all those things that you have that that you want to do, that's just your natural ability. And by looking at them as your conscience, what you're doing is you're harming your self-esteem. And anytime you harm your self-esteem, then what you do is you hurt yourself. And they, they, don't, they don't look at the sin or the problem is sin. They look at it as something that it's innately inside of you, just like you have this conscience and it's telling you, you know, you can do whatever you want. And our culture is little by little getting rid of that, negative feeling or that guilty feeling where everybody is doing it it doesn't matter anymore doesn't matter if it's wrong or harmful it you know because what's happening is that the more you look at it as sin it hurts your self-esteem and people leave here because their self-esteem has been hurt they have been hurt and they go out of here crying i can't believe you said those things those are wrong those are hurtful they were you know it's sin it's the holy spirit talking to your heart telling you to get rid of those things it's not, it's not me. It's the word of God. And what happens is the voice of conscience cannot be safely rejected. And so they say, you know what, then, you know, we just, we just get rid of everything. Now you're talking hate speech. Now you're telling me not to love who I want to love. Now you're t- and so our conscience little by little gets drowned out. And it's no wonder that our culture is where it's at today because this conscience of the, that God has given us is so hardened. It's so put aside. As a matter of fact, when we, when we talk about, when we went to the book of Romans in chapter 1, God says that, you know what, he's handed them over to their own evil desires because their consciences are so seared. They're burnt. They're, they're molded into what the world is telling you to do. And uh, we'll see in 1 in Timothy chapter 4 that uh, that that what the, what he says here is that the spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth beloved that's why we have to test the spirits because there are some that will say, you know what, your, your self-esteem is being damaged. Uh, I, I had this young man that I was talking to here, and, uh, and, I was, and he was also going to counseling. And, and, you know, and I gave him a Bible. I says, look, here's your Bible. You got to get your mind full of this word. Get this word, take this word, read this word, meditate on this word, memorize this word, read it. And so he goes to his counselor and says, my, my, my pastor gave me this, this Bible. And she says to him, well, ask him to give you a man's Bible, a men's Bible. You know, and, and so he comes up. He comes up to me. He says, "You know, my counselor says, can you give me a man's Bible?" I go, "That is a man's Bible. What are you talking about?" "Well, no, no, no. You know, one with with uh, uh, you know quotations and and studies and you know how to how to work on my self esteem because my self esteem has been damaged." I go, "Beloved, you need God's word because your self esteem has nothing to do with your Christianity. You see, God, he and this might sound kind of crass. He's not he's not concerned." about your comfort. He doesn't care what you feel like. What, he, what he's concerned about is your character. And character is difficult to chisel out of a man that has been babied all his life, out of a woman that has been pampered throughout all her life. And character, to build character, it takes chiseling and hammering and building and tearing down and heartaches and things to go through in order to build that character that God wants you to be. God wants to remove that sin from your life. And when you're regenerated, he washes your conscience clean. And you have a new conscience. You have a new heart. you You have a heart for God. And your conscience is now committed to what the Holy Bible says, what God's word is saying, and the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. And your conscience is now not yourself. Because remember, oh, I don't know if you know this or not, god god's word is truth satan has a bible as well and how our verse that most people would turn to as a central verse is john three sixteen. for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life in satan's bible that bible is that that main verse is to thine own self be true only to yourself nobody else you yourself and you that's it no one else And do what it is that you feel like you want to do. Go for it. And if anything is hurting your self-esteem, then I want you to stay away from it. That's coming straight out of the pit of hell. And so, when we say that the conscience is the soul reflecting on itself, the soul is looking at the mind and the heart, and and you know, and, and you know, I don't when I look at myself and I look at deep down inside. And people would say that here's, and, and here's how they do it: they they, they meditate and they go into trances, they you know, get down, get down in there, and get inside and look at yourself and find your inner self and let that just flow right out, beloved. I've looked at my inner self and it's ugly and dark. And uh, that has to be squashed. I need to deny myself. This is why that verse is very hard to get across because our culture is saying, no, to thine own self be true. No, and you know, some people even say, "But well, doesn't the Bible say to thine own self be true? No. The Bible says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow him. And so conscience is one of those things that, that either affirms right behavior or condemns sinful behavior. And the conscience is not to be equated with the voice of God, as I said earlier. And since the conscience holds people uh, to their highest perceived standard, see, when your conscience is holding you back and you're looking at your conscience, conscience what, what it's doing is, is, you know, whatever your standard is, whatever your highest standard is, that's what you're going to do. You know, if your highest standard is, you know, mediocre, you know, it don't matter. You know, it's, it's for me. So it doesn't matter if I take it from somebody else. They left it there, eh, it's their fault. And so my conscience is saying, I need to take care of my own. I need to take care of me. So I'm going to take it. And they have no guilty conscience. This is why you need to fill your mind with the word of God. And we need to set the standard higher. We need to set that standard that God has given us. We need to set that standard of God's word and that we need to continue to fill our mind with the truth of scripture and believe uh, what what God has said to be his perfect law. Our conscience will then call to those scriptures, that verses, that law to say, I will not do this because it is wrong to steal. I don't care what the circumstances are. I cannot and will not take somebody else's property. It is wrong to commit murder or to call my brother a fool. And my conscience and my, my, my understanding and my standard is set high. And now you know why it is that it's difficult for a lot of people to get them to come to church and to understand God's word. You know, I, I'd rather go get my ears tickled. You know, I like that teaching. Paul tells Timothy, tell them not to teach that stuff. Different teachings, different doctrine. No, teach them what the word of God says. Because that is our aim. The last thing I want to share with you today is that the love for God and others comes from a sincere faith. It comes from a sincere faith. And faith is what we all need and what we all get. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the word of God. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.5, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you faith is not something that you can measure as much as you can see you see you can't measure it and you really can't see it as much either but but what what faith is is what 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 produces what comes out where you stand because you look back and you say wow how did i get here how do i know so many scriptures how do I, you know one of the first things i wanted to know was like my pastor you know he says oh yeah it, that's in a uh, uh, ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 really where's, where's Ephesians? You know, I gotta go to the front of the Bible, you know, and man, I'd like to, I'd like to know how to do that, and uh, you know, and I didn't realize this until after a couple of years that I was doing this for some time, and, uh, and I'm I'm sitting there talking to somebody else, oh yeah, let me show you, and I went to the Bible, and that person that I was talking to, that young man says, wow, I'd like to be able to do that, I go, oh yeah, I, I said that here just a couple of years ago, because I, I didn't know, and you know, when you're acting out in faith, you Step out, you don't actually see yourself stepping out in faith, you just know that you have to do something, you know that you know that you have to go forward because it doesn't, uh, it doesn't equate to anything else. God says, Do it, and I said, Okay, I'm gonna do it, just step out in faith. A personal testimony before I conclude is before we, we, we grew up in, in uh, central California, the Fresno to be exact, my family, all my family's there, and um. And one day, one day, we, uh, I met, you know, I got saved in a church in Fresno, and and um, and I sensed, you know, God wants me to do something. I didn't know what it was. I just knew he wanted me to do something. So I volunteered for every position in the church. Somebody to mow the yard, I'll, I'll do it. Someone to take care of your kids, I'll do it. You know, somebody to clean toilets, I'll do it. Somebody, you know, it, so I was trying to get involved as much as possible. I, you know, whatever it is you need me to do, I'll do it. You know, I was, that's how grateful I was for the salvation that I had received. And again, looking back, after a, a year or two, I look back and I says, wow, you know, I've really come this far but that's not why I was doing it I just wanted to serve but it wasn't just you know that I wanted to serve it was God just moving me in that direction and it, and it wasn't until later that people recognized and I didn't do it for the recognition I just did it because I wanted to serve and so they says you know Sal you're you're a good deacon you want to be a deacon no I don't want to be a deacon pastor asked me why not because the deacons at our church they all sat in the back row and they all fell asleep I go because I don't want to sit in the back row <laughs> I don't want to go falling asleep during church. You know? I, don't want, I don't want to sit back there. And he laughed. Well, that's not what deacons do. That's what your deacons do. I don't want to do that. <laughs> and so long story short, deacon, associate pastor. And I realized you know, I need to do something different because uh, I had no ed- formal education. Uh, got kicked out of high school. Did my GED. Got kicked out of the military. Got kicked out of, you know, a lot of, I got kicked out of a lot of good places. Anyways, that's another story. There was somebody there at our church one time. And they set up a table and says, you know, there's a school in Riverside that uh that is associated to the southern baptist convention and we'll help you get there and just talk, you know it's, again i i ask questions and, and uh, at that time it's interesting how god was at that time our landlord the house that we were renting he says to us he says you know i'm getting ready to sell the house so you guys can have to find a new place to live all right this is summertime my wife says where are we going to go and i says riverside she goes, Riverside? What the heck are we going to do in Riverside? And go, well, there's a school out there. I ain't going to Southern California. No, I'm not going to go. I says, okay, well, I, I feel God's calling us to go to Southern California. And she denied it. She wouldn't do it. And, you know, I says, all right, <laughs> I'm not going to push it. Because if God wants us to go, he'll send us both. Uh, and our family, of course, our kids. And uh, after a couple of months, you know, we prayed about it. And she prayed about it. and says, all right, you know, let's go. And this was in July. And by December, we couldn't wait to get out. We couldn't wait to leave. We just knew that God had something planned for us. We didn't know what it was. And we moved on campus. We lived on campus for about three years. I got my degree. I was supposed to come back to Fresno. We started a church in Riverside. And the rest of the story is we never went back home. All we did was step out in faith and says, okay, Lord. And he provided all the way through. We had no money. We had no home. We had no jobs. We just stepped out in faith. And the good thing was that the, the association or the convention helped me out with my finances. My wife got a job there at the college, and uh, that also helped my tuition. In a private school, by the way, California Baptist University, private school is very expensive for a poor, you know, <laughs> farm labor like me. I, I didn't have the money, or the but God provided. You see, you don't really see it until you look back and you say, wow, how did that happen? How did that take place? And, and you have to just step out in faith. So I'm standing in faith right now that God still has me in the place where he wants to have me here until he removes me. Either he, you know, he moves me or he kills me. One of the two (laughs) takes me home. I I shouldn't say kill me. I'm here regardless. I mean, I'm glad you're here as well. Like I said before, you keep coming, I'll keep yelling. But, But the stepping out in faith, you don't see it. You don't see what it's going to produce. You just know it. See, faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. You hear God's word, And then you step out in faith because you know that that's what it's going to happen. See, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the things yet not seen. You know that they're there. You know that it's going to happen. And you haven't seen it, but it's going to happen. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. This sincere faith that Paul is talking about, he says, this is how I want you to live your life. I want you to do this, charge these men with this sincere love that that has this faith that things are going to change, that has this this hope and and the conscience that you have is is not being seared to do wrong but to do right and and to help these men and and those teachers to have a pure heart as well. And, And when we start putting all this together, we'll start to see, you know, these are the things that Paul has been teaching his young pastor, his protege, his true faith in the son, he calls him. Son in the faith, excuse me. And and he's, he talks to him and he says, he's encouraging him. He says, this is how I want you to operate. And at the same extension, this is how God wants us to operate. Because this wasn't just for Timothy. It was to Timothy. But now it is for us and what he has been teaching us. Let, let me ask you to stand. I know that God has been sharing some very important truth to you because first of all you've been listening to his word you've been reading his word you've been understanding his word and i know god is sharing something with you and and showing you something and there's some dramatic changes that have to happen maybe in your uh your pure heart maybe in a pure heart maybe you're thinking you know i i just i need a pure heart there's something that i know that my heart is just not right it's not pure well god wants you to love people in in Before you start combating and battling with false doctrines and teachers, the first thing you have to do, because this is the aim. The aim is is love with a pure heart. We need to start working on that. One step at a time. You know, maybe your conscience isn't good. Maybe you've been wrapped up in your self-esteem and in your own self, and and you've been hurt by people because, well, all you're thinking about is yourself. It's easy to get hurt when you're self-centered and you're self-motivated. And your self-esteem uh, is not to a high level, and that self-esteem, that self-centeredness, that doesn't come from God's word. Matter of fact, we're supposed to deny ourselves. And so, if your conscience is not being, uh, not in the right place, it, you have to use your conscience as your GPS. This is what's guiding you. And and so again, we go back to the safe uh, teaching, the the good doctrine. Go back to that, and s- start learning and reading material. And, you know, this week, this week I, I missed the class on Thursday and uh, I'm sorry for that and we're going to we're going to we're going to start it up again on, on I'm going to be here on Tuesday for the English class. I'll be here on Wednesday for the fundamentals if you want to take that and then I'll be here on Thursday for the Spanish class. And uh, and we, we want to encourage you to be here and be a part of that. But let me know. Okay, let me know so I can prepare for it as well. And and so the way to the to, to change your outlook is to change what's going in. God's word. And step out in faith. Have a sincere, just sincere, true, genuine, a sincere faith. You know, Lord, I'm going to do this because I know that you're going to help me step out in faith and do this. And some of you that are listening from home are, are wondering, you know, well, how do I step out in faith? How can I do this? Number one, step out and step in. Step into this sanctuary. Step in with the fellowship here. Come come to church. Come home. <coughs> Father in heaven, thank you once again. For the love that you give us through your word and how you've provided for us in so many different ways for the food you provide for today lord that we're going to share i pray you bless it and nourish us help us enjoy the fellowship for the word that you've given us help us to just take it home and ponder it lord and, and more than that just to start to apply it in our life there is a lot of false teaching out there lord and so we want to be we want to be on point and the only way to be on point is by the holy spirit teaching us what it is that he he's written for us and how to apply it. Not interpret it, not to get my own interpretation, but to be able to apply it, apply what I know. So, Father, thank you once again for this day and this time that we share. Dismiss us not from this place, but never from your presence, I pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen. 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 I'll be up for a time.